Good morning and welcome back to the Thrive Subscribe podcast. Today's topic is going to be professional advocacy. Uh, and today, Suzanne Feeding will be hosting uh, a discussion with Kate Gaynor from the Iowa Pharmacy Association uh, and talking a little bit about things that we can do as professionals to help take back uh, the things that we've lost over the years, some of the autonomy, the ability to take care of patients. Uh, so let's uh, go ahead and join the conversation with Suzanne. So today's guest is Kate Gaynor. Kate is a pharmacist and the executive director of Iowa Pharmacists Association. We'll include a link to her bio in the comments. Um, but first, I just wanted to welcome you, Kate, and thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Suzanne. It's great to be here. Great. So we always like to start off with asking our guests just to tell us a little bit about why they became a pharmacist. So if you don't mind, maybe you could share the background. Yeah, gosh, I wish I had a really, you know, sparkly answer for this question, but it's kind of boring. I was an undecided major when I went to college at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Um, my freshman year, bumped around, you know, between large, uh, you know, four or 500 student lecture halls. And it turned out um, a gal from my dorm was in my chemistry class, my zoology class, and then my um, I think calculus class or something. I'm like, what's the chance of having uh, three classes in a row and, and on a campus that big? And she asked me, what's your major? And I said, I don't have one yet. She said, oh, I'm, I'm pre-pharmacy. You should check out pharmacy um, as a career. So I thought back and my best friend in high school's dad owned an independent pharmacy. And um, I had been there a couple of times and I thought, oh, yeah. Um, sure, I'll go into pharmacy. <laughs> so <laughs> thankfully, um, it all worked out. But I have to say it was a pretty blind decision that I made um, my last semester freshman year of college before um, putting in all the application stuff my sophomore year. So thankfully, it worked out. But um, no real, uh, you know, awe inspiring decision on why I became a pharmacist just sort yeah. of uh, blindly, blindly made the decision and happy it turned out the way it did. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think we're all, we're all so glad to have you out there as a pharmacist advocating for, for practice change. I know, I know you do quite a bit and, um, I just had the opportunity to hear you speak at a national conference. Um, you know, one of the things that you talked about during that, um, session was some state advocacy tools. Um, I know you do quite a bit in Iowa, um, so I was thinking maybe you could just share with us how you partner with some of the local community pharmacies in Iowa to advocate for change, um, you know, and just specifically sharing some tips with the, the group here on how pharmacies can then really take that um, to partner with their status, excuse me, to partner with their state associations. Yeah, thanks for the question. And really, thanks for the opportunity. I think it's a chance to highlight the work that state pharmacy organizations do on behalf of the pharmacy profession and specifically pharmacy owners um, today. A number of issues that our profession is facing um, are not issues that can be solved overnight, whether that's prescription payment reform, PBM regulation and transparency, provider service or payment for services. These are big um, multi-year efforts that um, can be achieved in, in incremental incremental pieces. So those are the issues that state pharmacy associations work on on behalf of our members across the state. And no matter what state you're a community pharmacist in, there's an organization there that is representing 
your interest. So I encourage all of the, the listeners today, um, if you're not currently a member of your state pharmacy association, you know, just to give it another look. If it's been a couple years or maybe you were a member as a student, but not any longer, or, you know, you felt something should have gotten done that didn't get done. Um, I know that my counterparts across the country um, work very hard on their members' behalf, uh, particularly in advocacy. As pharmacy associations, advocacy is the one thing, and I know we say this in Iowa and in other states also, that we do on behalf of pharmacists, but no one else in the state does to the same extent. Mm -hmm. So at the Iowa State Capitol, for example, IPA has a lobbyist and a contract lobbyist that are there every day, the legislature's in session to serve as our eyes and ears and also the voice for the pharmacy profession, um, both on issues that come up and are scheduled, um, like a hearing that you might hear about that's happening Tuesday at 2 p.m., contact your legislator before that time but also just the hallway conversations and things that come up so that we are constantly there with our finger on the pulse of all healthcare issues that could impact pharmacy. Um, so that's just one tool, the, the lobbyist piece of it. Um, but some other tools that state pharmacy associations employ to help achieve the advocacy agendas for the profession of pharmacy in our state would include political action committees or PACs. Again, um, this would be something every state association or state pharmacy group has a political action committee um, that can be supported through personal contributions, um, as well as lobbyists. And then a few other tools that I'd mention and I think are really key to those individual pharmacists are local relationships, access, and grassroots advocacy. So those three kind of tie together. The local relationships are really about um, each individual legislator has a pharmacy, a pharmacist, or perhaps both within their legislative district. So oftentimes um, that legislator also uses a pharmacy personally as a patient and there's a relationship that exists there. Um, and you personally, as a community pharmacist, have access to those legislators by virtue of being a constituent and a resident um, in the district and perhaps a business owner in the district, which can be an even more powerful tool. So those things combined really position community pharmacists to be an ideal grassroots advocate. So at the local level, um, having access and the ear for local legislators to understand pharmacy issues and then be able to move forward um, an agenda that is pro-pharmacy. Mm -hmm. The last tool that I would mention um, that's an, imp an important tool for states to have for the pharmacy profession is a unified voice. So the issues that pharmacy as a profession faces at the state level, some that I mentioned earlier, PBM issues, drug pricing issues, um, reimbursement for prescription drugs. Um, these are really pharmacy business issues. And then the professional pharmacy issues, provider status, 
payment for pharmacist services, um, being recognized as a member of the healthcare team, both buckets of these issues, business and professional, are heavy lifts and have a strong opposition, whether that be the PBM industry, the insurance industry, pharmaceutical manufacturers, um, physician groups like state medical societies on some of the professional issues or other provider groups. So in and of themselves, they're... Um, there's already opposition to these issues. And if you're, the profession of pharmacy doesn't have a unified voice in your state, it definitely weakens your office often and just makes those opposing your issues have an even stronger play against them. So a unified voice might mean working together with all the pharmacy lobbyists in your state. We do something in Iowa called Team Pharmacy. We're not the only lobbyists at the state capitol. There are other groups and organizations that have lobbyists that represent some of our members, but we make sure that we uh, have a powwow each week during session, that our priorities are aligned because if one group is out there saying the most important thing we can get done this session is X, and another group is saying the most important thing pharmacy needs to get done is Y, um, it may be hard to get both of those things across the finish line, but if you can agree to which one collectively you'll go after in a given year, you're more likely to get something across the finish line. Mm -hmm. And I might then just add, Suzanne, um, your question, sort of what can um, local community pharmacies do yeah. to help, help with state, state advocacy agendas or those tools? So definitely um, cultivating those local legislative relationships. Mm -hmm. So if it's a relationship that already exists by virtue of, you know, being a business owner in their legislative district um, and you've met them at, a, you know, different events or they're actually a patient that comes to your pharmacy, taking it one step further and saying, hey, you know, can we talk about some of the issues that are really impacting mm -hmm. uh, my practice or my business? Uh, again, at the pharmacy, um, you know, bring them in into the pharmacy and really pull back the curtain and show them, you know, show them the care that is provided, some of the health outcomes. Also show them, um, you know, how you keep your doors open, what that business equation looks like and some of the hurdles that exist, whether that be PBM practices um, or lack of transparency. Um, so they can start to get um, a visual. And I would tell you in Iowa, um, the 15 years I've worked for the Iowa Pharmacy Association, talking to a state legislator about a PBM mm -hmm. 10 to 15 years ago, um, you could see their eyes glaze over. Uh, you could see that you would lose them very early in the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't front of mind. It, it didn't resonate and it, it didn't make sense. Talking to legislators today, um, there is a strong appetite to do something, there is a strong dislike and distrust for PBMs, mm -hmm. and we have seen that come full circle uh, regardless of partisan politics. Mm -hmm. um, so it really can be a, a powerful conversation to have when you bring your local legislator into your pharmacy and pull back the curtain to show them what's going on. Mm -hmm. Other things that ph community pharmacists can do is formally host legislators. Um, and that could be a fundraiser. 
Um, if they're running for office, then you, you could host um, an event at your pharmacy. Um, again, sometimes politics and partisan politics might be in play there. Um, but a, a contribution or hosting an event like that can really solidify a relationship for the entire term that that um, legislator may be in office. They'll always remember who donated to their campaign early and who hosted events for them. Mm-hmm. Great. Stuff. And my last thing I would say as a community pharmacist, um, what you can do is keep the dialogue open with your state pharmacy association. Share with us. Um, what's happening at your practice that you need fixed or share with us what's going well, because that can help inform the advocacy agendas and also the stories that we use um, when we're down at the state capitol to help advocate for pharmacy issues. Um, that You know, they say those personal stories really stick with legislators. You can put data, data, data in front of them all day. Um, but if you really talk about a story that's from a professional or a business owner or a patient in their district, um, that'll stick and that'll result in action. So those were uh, a number of tools I kind of uh, shared rapid fire. I don't know if that was helpful, Suzanne, or what you were hoping to get. Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, I think a, a great call to action is sharing those personal stories, you know, whether it's with the legislators, with your state organizations, hosting visits, um, all great things to do. And and really the call to, to join and become involved in your state association. So not just the membership, but the involvement um, and the engagement as well. So that that's really helpful to the group. Thanks, Kate. Um, you touched on this a little bit, but I didn't know if you maybe wanted to go through a specific example um, or talk through through maybe this year or last year. But you know, how do you really work together to create that advocacy agenda um, so so that you know what that you know as pharmacists what that unified voice is um, to help advance pharmacy practice? Yeah, thanks. And actually, the the presentation that you saw. Um, presented at the idea share conference the the title was really how advocacy translates to practice transformation mm-hmm. um, and I can share the example you know going into pharmacy school even heck graduating pharmacy school and doing a residency I was um, not interested in politics mm-hmm. had no personal experience in politics you know my very much grew up in a apolitical home we did not have dinner conversations about elections or political issues. Um, That said, when I started working at IPA, um, the Iowa Pharmacy Association, I learned very quickly that elections matter, that state legislatures and local politics matter, Mm -hmm. and that professional organizations make the biggest difference in how local politics and local elections can impact the livelihood of pharmacists or whatever group you're a part of. Um, And so that's a really interesting story. I'd be happy to share with others offline, like the real life example of when I realized, wow, this absolutely matters and makes a difference. Mm -hmm. Um, So we work to set those agendas at IPA through a a multi-step process. And I'm confident this looks somewhat different, but has common threads with other states as well, regardless of where you practice. Mm -hmm. Um, We receive input from our members. So like I said earlier, 
uh, member stories and what we're hearing are the the issues keeping pharmacists up at night or um, really the needs of what uh, pharmacists in our state need um, are collected throughout the year by IPA and, and, of course, discussed at our board meetings and things like that. Each fall, we have a legislative advisory committee um, that works to prioritize issues. Um, that legislative committee not only talks about the issues that are pressing for pharmacists, you know, at the, the current time, but also takes into consideration a number of other factors. Um, IPA still has a House of Delegates where we debate policy. So oftentimes the new policy topics will come into play um, as something that may be a legislative priority. We also take input from our staff and lobbyists. So we look at what the environment is. Um, and that's very important because there may be a pressing issue that our members want to um, work on. Um, but at the given year or the given political environment, it may not be a political reality. So we really take into consideration what I call the three P's, the policy, the politics, and the process in determining those priorities. And I'll um, give an example. Um, in Iowa, two years ago, we went after a legislative priority for statewide protocols, which would allow pharmacists limited prescriptive authority um, for certain classes of medication. And statewide protocol bills had been successfully passed in other states, namely under public health priorities and prescription medications that didn't require a diagnosis. Things like immunizations, naloxone, hormonal contraception, nicotine replacement therapy. Um, to name a few. Mm -hmm. And in Iowa, um, we had a very, very conservative Republican um, legislature, both the House and the Senate, as well as our executive branch and governor. Mm -hmm. And we knew from some of the key legislators, um, as well as the overall political climate, that any bill mentioning hormonal contraception um, would be dead on arrival and would actually like kill an entire statewide protocol package. So even though that was one of the more common statewide protocol um, legislative uh, successes across the country, it was something that was excluded from IPA's priority because of that political dynamic. So you have to take all of it into consideration. Mm -hmm. Well, that that's a lot to consider. And, um, you know, I think we're thankful that we have our state associations to help di dictate that advocacy plan. Um, you know, Kate, we're, we're almost out of time. Um, and before we wrap up, I was just hoping perhaps you could share, you know, something that you're, you're proud of this year at IPA, um, you know, a recent success or just something that sticks to mind um, for what, what you've done within the state um, and the state association to support community practice. Yeah, great question. Uh, we're just coming off of our board retreat. Uh, that was three days ago. And I think Iowa has a lot to be proud of and has um, done a lot of work on a number of issues, but probably one that stands out um, relates to technicians. And I think it's a success um, because it took us about 10 years to get from where we started to where we are and what was just achieved in the last 12 months. 
um, but specifically around technicians' role and um, in community pharmacies um, for technician product verification, uh, what we used to call tech check tech. And it was about 10 years ago that we had a few independent pharmacy owners in Iowa come to the association and say, we need, need to do something different. The business model isn't sustainable. Everything in our environment has changed, but what we require pharmacists to do has not changed. Um, and said, you know, we want to form a task force. And out of that task force, we passed legislation that allowed pilot projects. And in Iowa, we studied uh, a pilot project with uh, 15 community pharmacy sites, a mix of independent and chains that implemented technician product verification to free up the pharmacist's time, um, demonstrated that technicians could safely verify the final product of both refill and new prescriptions, and that pharmacist time was freed up um, and increased time was spent in direct patient care services, both services that were reimbursable, but also um, at the time services that were not yet reimbursable, but were provided that improved patient care and, and that experience. Um, so out of that, we passed legislation um, that would allow technician product verification across all pharmacy settings. And our board of pharmacy just finalized the rulemaking process, um, I believe early this fall in Iowa, fall of 2019 that is, um, those rules will be effective and community pharmacies will be able to train their pharmacy technicians, their pharmacists, and redesign, re-engineer um, their workflow in order to maximize if, or optimize, if you will, pharmacist care, but also uh, the technician's role um, in that community pharmacy setting. So we're really proud of that. We think, um, you know, that kind of the boulder is just rolling down the hill, if you will. We've been pushing it uphill for 10 years doing work on that. Um, I would tell you 10 years ago, uh, we lost members at IPA because not every pharmacist agreed we should be studying technician product verification. Wow. Um, and that's, that's everyone's choice, whether or not they agree with technician product verification. But now we have had more pharmacists coming to us saying, when are those rules going to be finalized? Mm -hmm. We really need this to help support our, our business and improve our practice at our community pharmacy. Mm -hmm. So we've really seen um, a heightened interest. And, and I think part of that comes with the process. You know, we did things deliberately over time. It was studied. Um, there was time for comfort to be gained and buy-in and support to be garnered. Um, but I really think we're going to see pharmacies and, and hopefully the members of the Thrive, excuse me, Thrive Subscribe community. I think this is right in line with what Thrive Subscribe is working to build and working to support. So we're really excited for that in Iowa and hopefully we can work with other states to emulate the same process. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing and, and congratulations to all of you in Iowa. Um, really exciting. You know, as a pharmacist, I just think the the ability that opens up to really be able to practice at the top of your license and, and, um, 
you know, some of those clinical services to really support and grow your business. So, you know, so with that, Kate, um, so many great things I think happening in your state and, and we really appreciate you taking the time out of your day um, to talk with us and, and just what you're, what you're out there doing every day, boots on the ground to advance the practice. So thank you. Um, and for all of you, you know, listening to, to this today, um, please join in the discussion this week on Thrive Subscribe. Um, you'll learn from hopefully a lot of your like-minded individual peers about what it takes to transform your practice, improve your practice's um, financial viability, decrease your stress, increase your professional satisfaction, um, and really be able to stay engaged and up to date. So, um, so with that, Kate, again, I just want to say thanks so much, and um, hopefully we'll hear again from you soon. The Thrive Subscribe podcast is brought to you by Thrive Pharmacy Transformations. Visit us online at tptransformations.com where you can join our free community to inspire you, challenge you, and transform your pharmacy practice.